Crypto Corner, brought to you by Novik. I'm your host, Nick Ogori. First off, happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Um, we are going to be setting the mood for you guys. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, we're going to be doing something a little non-Valentine's here. Uh, we get to say words and describe game designs and analyze concepts that are so outlandish and out of the norm of Web2 that you would actually never associate them with a professional business of gaming podcast like this one. But we have to do it. We have to do it for the science, for posterity, for the insights, because we are, in fact, talking about what could be the very first big, successful, natively Web3 game, and maybe, even more broadly, a game ecosystem that has emerged since Axie Infinity. And I'm really not exaggerating here. Um, you're going to see why once we get into some of the numbers. Uh, it is very different to Axia, but that is exactly what makes it so intriguing. It isn't play-to-earn or play-to-own or win-to-own. It's not following the prior meta or any of the prior metas that we've seen. And it's not trying to create economic opportunity in the developing world. It's not even trying to be mass market, in all honesty, at least not yet. But it is doing something really unique. It's leaning into community, cryptocurrency, and NFTs in a way that demonstrates a deep, deep understanding of what the current Web3 audience is looking for and what works. And I emphasize the word current Web3 audience because we are, of course, extremely early in the evolution of Web3 gaming, and who knows what the future holds. So we could be totally off, um, but I do know that uh, our guest today shares uh, a lot of these convictions as well. So buckle up, everyone. We are diving into the sewers, quite literally, to talk about Dookie Dash, <laughs> the skill-based infinite runner, which was released on January 18th, very recently, by Yuga Labs. And Yuga are, of course, the 800-pound crypto-native ape in the room. They're the owners of the biggest NFT collections in the world, including Board Ape Yacht Club and its various mutant and canine derivatives, uh, as well as owning a couple of other OG projects like MeBits and CryptoPunks. They've generated billions in secondary sales on OpenSea. They've raised ungodly sums of venture financing from Andreessen Horowitz, and they have by far the most mindshare and street cred in the crypto and NFT space. So we are, we are talking about you know, the leader in the space. But the big question is, can Yuga Labs translate that into gaming success? And we know they're trying to do that. They've had a couple of really interesting key hires recently, which we'll talk about once we get into the episode. And they have stated they want to get into gaming and dominate gaming. So um, we are going to try and answer those questions uh, and more. And to do that, we have Thomas Pan, who writes about NFTs, crypto, and Web3 in his Substack newsletter, aptly titled Web3 with T-Pan. And he recently wrote up an excellent deconstruct of Dookie Dash, which you should all go and read. Um, and which we will be talking about today and going a lot deeper than, than even that piece did. Uh, we'll post a link in the show notes, as always, so you can go check it out. So, T-Pan, it is great to have you here again. Welcome back to the pod. Nico, thanks for having me again. Always a pleasure. Excited to share my findings, my thoughts, potentially a couple predictions. And I agree with everything that you've mentioned in regards to Dookie Dash. Dash. Oh my gosh. Um, been in the sewers too much. Um, <laughs> and there's just so much going on, I think, from a marketing growth perspective where I focus more on, but also gaming as a whole. We know that Web3 Gaming is going to be a very large driver of adoption, growth, um, value to the space on top of entertainment, which is what gaming is at the end of the day. But um, the playbooks are still being written. I think Yuga is potentially writing one of them. And I think it's very interesting when we think about it from that paradigm in regards to how to incorporate tokenomics, how to think about engaging and empowering your community more than some sort of traditional established methodologies, and also how a brand, 
a company that started from a digital, basically a collection of digital collectibles um, that was Board Ape Yacht Club has now sort of ventured into the gaming space. We'll see how deep and how broad that will go, but I think there are signs that they are here to stay and become a serious player in a large scale, potentially, way. All right. Well, that is, we, we're making some bold predictions here, everyone. So uh, <laughs> before before we, we get ahead of our skis here, uh, why don't we talk a little bit about what the, what the game is? So let, let's start, let's actually start with some uh, slightly salty language here uh, for Valentine's Day. Um, I, I'm actually uncomfortable using the official game announcement wording. Um, you should go read it. It is, it is quite something. It is very Web3 native. Um, I will instead use kind of the Web2 translation of it, uh, which uh, I'm going to use the words of Chris Messina, who's the inventor of the Twitter hashtag, and he's a top hunter on Product Hunt. And he submitted Dookie Dash for Product Hunt. Um, and he describes it um, in these words. So I quote Chris Messina here. Dookie Dash is a skill game played like an endless runner. You have to save the key from Jimmy the Monkey's anus by going up through the toilet. Grab your sewer pass and jump in by February 8th, 2023. Uh, I have never heard a game announcement like this in my entire life. Um, what on earth is going on here? What is Dookie Dash? Why am I in a, in a board ape sewer system? Who is Jimmy the monkey? Why is there a key in his anus? How do I play the game and what am I doing? How do I win? Yeah, um, if... For anyone that's been following Board Ape Yacht Club as a brand and just what they've done from activations to how they really get their community excited and just their language, their creative and all that fun stuff, they like to be a little graphic. Uh, I wouldn't say, you know, bordering PG-13 rated R and more tongue in cheek, right? So like you mentioned, Nico, um, there's a key coming out of a monkey's anus. And I think the quick backstory here is... First of all, looking at the Board Ape Yacht Club roadmap. So for anyone that has an understanding or, or closer understanding of what's going on with the general roadmap, um, probably about a year ago now, but a while ago, Yuga Labs released an illustrated roadmap with some milestones and very vague descriptors of what their roadmap would entail. So some of those things was NFT NYC, their first ever large-scale activation um, in late 2021. They actually had a, and this gets interesting, we could talk about this a little bit more later, they actually launched a mobile game, Apes called Apes versus Mutants, January last year. Um, and now we're at the stage called The Trial of Jimmy the Monkey. Um, and in parentheses, MD versus MM1 Prologue. And then there's uh, a paw print of assuming probably a dog. So we're at that stage right now. Um, and Board Ape Yacht Club released a video showing uh, Jimmy the monkey and his friends. They're having a party. Um, and for some reason, a traveler from the medieval times hands this box. And this was all sort of uh, released with more details via sneak peeks. Effectively, there's a key that was provided to Jimmy. Um, they were partying because that's what they do in the swamp. And then Jimmy accidentally somehow swallows the key while playing beer pong. And he tries to go to the restroom to get it out of his anus. And his friends go search for the key. So that sort of lays the scene for why you are doing the dookie dash. And it's funny how you, they spell it, right? Dookie in that term is D-O-O-K-I-E. 
This is a play on words, D-O-O-K-E-Y. So again, this really just emphasizes on the humor. This isn't just a game. This really emphasizes the brand. And this is sort of a new way. I don't want to say brand new way, but this is definitely leaning more into just the type of groundwork that has already been laid in terms of the personality, the tone of what Board Yacht Club has done. So to the average individual, you know, sewers, you know, crap, things, keys coming out of anuses, that's absolutely disgusting. However, Board Ape Yacht Club and Yuga Labs has owned that and is able to play on that in a way that many other brands and companies can't. Don't copy that per se, but think about how that even came to be and how they've continued to lean on that in tasteful and tongue-in-cheek ways. Yeah, it's it's very it's very on brand for them. Uh, that's the first thing that kind of comes in comes to mind. And and you know, in my intro, I said um, they've really leaned into what Web three and their audience really their audience wants, right? And I said like they're not trying to go mass market with this, but it is still a very very big moment in in Web three gaming history. I think uh, again, I'm not exaggerating when I say that I believe this is the next big moment post Axie Infinity. Very different, um, but. Uh, perhaps the next big experiment that's going to unfold. So let's talk a little bit about the actual game itself. It is important yep. that this is a game. They have launched it as a game. It is <laughs> yep. skill-based. Uh, it's an infinite runner in the style of Subway Surfers or Temple Run, games like that. Um, and when you have a skill-based game, it's important that it feels fair to the player. I, I believe, at least. it feels impor It's important that it feels fair to the players. Um, and... While it is tongue in cheek, it's more of an entertainment experience. You know, it's on brand, but people are playing this to win whatever's in that box, right? And Correct. so, do the players of this game, based on your research, feel that the rules are fair for a skill based game? Are people playing this and feeling like, okay, if I'm good at this game, I can beat other players that are good at this game too? By practicing, I can get better and better. Is that happening? Are you seeing that um, in, in the community? Yes. So overall, in regards to is the game fair? Yes, there. It's not going to be perfect. No game is perfect in regards to fairness. I think a very simple example is in many different games with various characters with different buffs or abilities and things like that. Off occasionally, there is a character that a lot of a lot of players like, and it gets nerfed, right? They do game balancing and character balancing. And that has happened to a degree with Dookie Dash in regards to they do have occasional um, updates, game maintenance, sort of down periods for short amount, short amount of time because they sort of discover bugs and fix things up. So in regards to fairness, going back to sort of the mechanics of the game, uh, in order to play you need to have a sewer pass. And your sewer pass is basically your ticket or your token to actually access the game. And this is actually a very important note to, to be aware of for those that haven't been following closely. This isn't available to the public. Um, this isn't something where you can, you know, you pay, it's a one-time purchase to access the game. You need to have that pass. And that pass, if you wanted to... Um, get that today. Let me just do a quick calculation. I think you did that yesterday, Nico, but I just want to be extra sure. It's over $4,000. It's about 2.7 ETH from, you know, some, some tools that I use. So, um, how did you even get that in the first place? Holders of Board Ape Yacht Club and Mutant Ape Yacht Club were able to access this. And there were four tiers of this. So, if you had a Mutant Ape Yacht Club and only that, 
um, you got the tier one sewer pass. These sewer passes could be upgraded a level if you had a Bored Ape Kennel Club, which is the companion collection to the original BAYC collection. So if you had a mutant and a kennel club, then you were tier two. If you had Bored Ape only, you're tier three. And if you had a Bored Ape and a kennel, you were tier four. So the differences between the tiers were their varying boosts to your ultimate score. So to a degree, instead of pay to play, it is, um, or, or to get the highest score, you ideally wanted the highest tiered pass to maximize your score along with a Bored Ape Kennel Club. And if you had that to begin with and minted that, great. You had a tier four sewer pass, depending on your different holdings. If you had multiple, you mint multiple passes. If you had one, I had a mutant. For the record, I just sold it immediately. I was traveling. I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I didn't have time. I didn't even play. And I completely regret all of that. Um, and I wish I didn't bring my ledger while I was traveling. But that's a whole different story. And don't do that. It's probably not a best practice. Um, but uh, those tiers help you boost your score as appropriate. Um, and now, quick, quick, yeah. a quick, quick question in between here. So um, I, I definitely wanted to touch on these tiers because th this is kind of mm -hmm. where I was going with this fairness question. Yes, um, You know, typically, like, th this would be in Web 2, this would absolutely be pay to win, right? People would yep. be like, ah, oh, man, I got to go and spend like $120,000, which I think is the floor price for a board ape at the moment, plus whatever a kennel dog is to get the tier four. Like, that's the ultimate definition of pay to win, right? Like, literally, yes. you got to spend definitely. hundreds of thousands of dollars in order to, to get there. So why is there no uproar? Like, is this just the difference in Web3 versus Web2 mentality? Is this what Web, like what Yuga has figured out is that their community, like it's a status symbol for them to have these things. They don't care that like they don't have the tier four. They're just happy that they have the tier one and they're part of the club, so to speak. How, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how does this really factor into the gameplay? Because I have to believe that a tier one sewer pass just has no hope of winning. Like literally has no hope of winning. You have to have a tier four pass. Um, yep. So how does that jive with the notion of like people don't feel cheated, so to speak, by only having a tier one? Um, and we're going to get into some of the stats here because I think you've done some calculations. Like there's like a 94% play rate on the sewer passes, which means even the tier one sewer passes are playing the game, even though they know they have no hope of winning ultimately. So yes, how yes. does how does how do you how do you how do you square that? Like how do you have fairness on the one hand, and then the ultimate in pay to win, and for there not to be an uproar? Yeah, I think there's a few factors at hand, and also in regards to the activation or the the play percentage of those series passes. In order to continue along the storyline, this is only a prologue potentially even, but this is just part one of multiple parts of this journey um, for this activation, this campaign, even this game, which might ultimately in hindsight become a, be a mini game. And that's one thing I do point out. We don't know. There's probably a metagame, but this might just be a mini game. So in regards to is this fair, I think there's a, a few other factors at hand and we'll talk more about this particular piece, but there is a token sync. So um, for anyone following, uh, Yuga Labs has... ApeCoin powering the Yuga ecosystem. This is, you know, owned by the community to a very large degree. There's a treasury, there's a DAO that votes on various initiatives. And to additionally boost your score and also the in-game boosts um, that help increase your score, um, you can purchase two ApeCoin, um, which 
at this time of discussion, probably about $10 to $12 um, to boost that session and that dash. So that is something that's available to all different passes. So even though that's not the end-all be-all to get you to first place to win the the magical golden key, um, that helps. Additionally, there are players with tier one sewer passes that do reach very high scores. Um, I don't know for a fact how high, definitely not top 10, um, because the boosts at that point matter a lot more because those boosts are on a percentage basis. So if you get 500,000 versus 700,000, that percentage just on an absolute basis increases a lot more. Um, But that does help as well in regards to the fact that this is a skill-based game and this is a skill-based mint based on your score. Lastly, I think what you're already alluding to to a degree, Nico, is that if you held this in the first place, if you minted this in the first place, this is a version of an airdrop. So you don't necessarily lose. I think that you would think about it in the inverse in terms of how much you win. You can just sell your pass like I did without even playing. You could sell your, you could hold on to your pass. You don't need to play and you could just sell it at a later point because you're patient and you saw the price rise from a low of 1.2 ETH to a, a sort of steady high of about 2.5 to 3 ETH. That's great too. You still win right? For the holders, Mm -hmm. to be clear. So for the new entrants that want to join in, then it's up to their decision and their budget to be thoughtful about, do you want a tier one? Do you want a tier two, three, or four pass? So I think that's part of the reason why there has been no uproar. And on top of that, Yuga understands that communication, I think a lot of brands, Web2, Web3, doesn't matter what industry you're in, communication is key. And they made very clear that there were different tiers for this mint weeks in advance, maybe even months, right? There were four tiers. What you hold determines what tier you are. And the more valuable collections or combination with Board Ape and Kennel that you hold, you will get the better thing. And then they revealed what the better thing actually entailed. So communication, the the reality for holders that this is an airdrop of sorts. Um, and for anyone that got that, you can't exactly lose. And also that it's skill-based. So even if you are in a disadvantaged position, you can still rank higher, much higher, maybe not top 10, top 100, but much higher. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's one thing to have minted a sewer pass by virtue of holding one of these uh, you know, tier one, two, three, or four combinations of board ape ecosystem uh, NFTs, but it's another to actually go and buy a four thousand to ten thousand dollar. Ten thousand is the tier four current floor price on on OpenSea. Um, why would a non board ape ecosystem holder spend four to ten thousand dollars on the sewer pass? What's what's in it for them? Obviously, they can try and compete, and if you buy a sewer, uh, you know, tier four for ten k. It's still a lot cheaper than you know owning a hundred twenty thousand dollar board ape uh, in order to get that tier four um, pass. But what's in it for them? Like, why would somebody who's a non ecosystem member uh, buy in for four to ten thousand dollars in a sewer pass just to compete in the game when presumably the ecosystem or whatever new games they're going to have or new you know adventures in the Jimmy the Monkey saga uh, come next would still require you to have a board ape or a mutant or a kennel club. Um, What's in it for a non 
Board Ape ecosystem holder? Why would somebody buy in? And they have, uh, they have. I don't know if you know the exact numbers, but um, I think Sewer Passes have done about four million dollars in secondary sales um, when I checked yesterday, uh, give or take. So it's not huge; it's not billions like it is for Board Apes, um, but it's still millions of dollars uh, are being transacted. Why buy a Sewer Pass if I'm not in the ecosystem and it doesn't get me into the ecosystem? Yeah, that's a very great question. And I do want to preface the answer with just the reality that, you know, the average person should not purchase this type of asset, especially, or or even just access to the game if they don't financially have the means or stability to do so. And also on the flip side, for game developers that are operating in the Web3 space to expect people to act in such a way, whether it's because of low supply, whether even because it's an established brand. This is a Yuga thing. It's very important to understand what's going on and even maybe emulate elements, but, you know, don't expect exactly the same results. So in regards to motivations here, the, the reality is to a degree that the various collections in the Yuga ecosystem are not necessarily the most affordable. A mutant ape haven't checked recently, but probably approximately 14-ish, 15-ish ETH. Last I checked, maybe a week or two ago. A board ape yacht club, I think from a US dollar standpoint, over a hundred thousand dollars. CryptoPunks, MeBits, separate ecosystem, even though they're owned by Yuga. It's not cheap to enter. You have other side, which is much more affordable between probably the 1.5 to 2 ETH range. That's their metaverse, and that's land. That's not necessarily what may be. And we'll see a playable character, another profile picture collection or digital collectible, something that complements your board ape or anything else if you are a holder in the ecosystem. So in terms of an entry point, this is a relatively affordable entry point. There's no guarantees, again, in regards to what this can be, but there is a lot of benefit knowing that this is part one of a multi-part saga, story, maybe even game. Um, there actually were sneak peeks of of what might be to come in regards to uh, the results of holding, playing, and also gathering different parts for this game. On January 19th, BAYC actually tweeted out, uh, and again, playing along with their storyline and all those different things, there's a dog prophet they call Gary. So basically, it's a dog. They sort of just coronated him or sort of assigned him as a prophet, licked a toad without, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, the, the dog got trippy because uh, it licked a toad and started sketching things. And in the sketches, which was basically a sneak peek, there were these mechas that were revealed um, with dogs operating in the center, potentially. So this really was a premonition of what is to come. And there was more further speculation in regards to what this might be, whether it's playable assets, another digital collectible collection that might be a PFP or something for other side, TBD in that regard. But I think that combined with being able to join the Yuga ecosystem in a more prominent way. And also, if you think about it from the addressable market and the reality that Yuga is at a position that's more or less leading the pack. I think it's hard to really argue otherwise at this point. Um, people want in. So what are those various entry points? Additionally, it's important to realize that there may be holders, um, board ape holders, mutant holders, other, other ecosystem holders that want to actually add more. 
sewer passes, knowing that this leads to more. So maybe they only have one board ape, they don't have enough capital, or they don't want to use their capital to purchase a second, but they want a lot of sewer passes because they believe that there's upside and for whatever reason, financial or otherwise for this. So they might just load up on a lot of sewer passes. So a lot of basic economics, but also thinking about audiences, thinking about track record, thinking about what is to come to, though no one knows exactly what. Mm. So obviously a lot of speculation and you are the masters yep. of um, stringing people along, for lack of a better phrase, uh, over a long period of time and teasing, lots of teasing uh, as to what could be. And who knows if they even know what they're going to do with <laughs> with this story or these games or these assets or whatever. But um, you've mentioned that the, the 26,000 sewer passes have been minted. Um, and uh, again, the prices of those range from $4,000 to $10,000 from tier one to, to tier four. Um, do you happen to know how many Dookie Dash runs have been made by non-board ape holders versus um, existing holders? Uh, I would imagine most of it has come through, hey, I owned a board ape, I owned a mutant, I had a dog, like I have these passes. I'm sure, why not? Why not run? I got my sewer pass free. Um, but, you know, 4 million has been transacted on OpenSea um, in the secondary market. So some folks are buying these sewer passes and are not holders, presumably. What percentage... Do you, do you happen to know what percentage uh, is holder runs versus non-holder runs who, who are playing the game? I do not, unfortunately. I think that's very interesting. And, and the reality is, um, to a degree, this is something that can be queried on the blockchain from a data perspective, right. that's, which that's is why super I asked, interesting. Everything is, everything is yeah. public out there. So somebody could do yeah. this math and look at like, okay, like what percentage is just catering to the existing ecosystem, which is a perfectly fine thing to do, right? Keeping your community yep. engaged, right? And, and again, you are really good at doing this. Um, so if this is a play to retain and engage your already existing audience, and 100% Duke Dash runs is by your existing holders, who mint to the sewer pass and like, why not? I got it for free. I might as well do this run, see if I'm any good at this. Um, you know, it's a really interesting question to ask is how much of this is, has opened up the Yuga ecosystem to folks who are more price sensitive, who can't afford $120,000 board ape or can't afford, you know, a $15,000, $20,000 mutant, um, but can afford for, I mean, it, it's it's an odd person who spends ten thousand dollars in a tier four pass, but then doesn't doesn't go for the meet and ape, right? But I'm sure those people are out there. So I think that's a super <laughs> interesting question, and I hope one of our listeners who's who's good at querying blockchain stuff actually does this math because I would love to know how much this has opened up the Yuga Labs ecosystem or the board ape ecosystem to newcomers who are not buying into the apes, but are buying into the the sewer passes um, as a cheaper entry point, um, and are competing for for you know. To, to win, presumably. I agree. I think from a data perspective, in terms of what's publicly available, and I think we'll get into at a later point what's not as publicly available from a game standpoint, this is fascinating, right? Whether you're, again, you're, you're in the Web3 gaming space, Web2 gaming space, even outside of gaming, to understand what a collection like this where there is, there's a requirement for engagement. I do want to emphasize you need to play. It could be a score of one. It could be a score of 100. It could be a score of 10 million, right? It doesn't matter. You need to actually participate at least once in a validated, verified, not, not cheating way in order to continue along with what the next phase is summoning, right? So, so that's what gets very interesting about this. And on top of that, this is a closed environment, 
right? You need to have that sewer pass. This is sort of antithetical to a lot of best practices, right? You want as many people to play your game as possible. So you maximize the footprint. Yuga doesn't care about that. And because of that, from a data standpoint, from a secondary market standpoint, from a who's minting, who has what, are some people accumulating even more as a result? It gets very, very interesting. So yes, I agree in terms of seeing who's new coming into the ecosystem. And I would even add on to that, right? Because I think there are sort of point in time data analysis that could be done, like what we're describing here, super important, very relevant, especially at this point in time. But when you think about it on a longer term you know, sort of time horizon on a longitudinal standpoint, if I were Yugo or if I were on the data team, oh my gosh, so much fun. Um, I would look at those particular users, day zero, as an example, day zero, day 30, day 365, however you want to slice and dice it. Do they eventually enter the Yuga ecosystem at a later point? Why? Can that be tied to an actual qualitative event? Can that be tied to a physical event versus an announcement versus, you know, some sort of association with another board API club holder, as an example, right? And if you could determine what those dat- those points are and why, and if you have statistically significant data to determine like, hey, this event actually causes ecosystem to change or grow or do this in a very particular way, that's an insight whether it's just for the company themselves, whether it's for the industry to actually take a learning from that playbook, that gets very, very interesting because this all sort of leads to onboarding and sort of engagement in different ways that I just don't think people have really done quite yet and quite yet successfully. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I I agree. And then this is, again, why both... T-Pan and myself uh, are not exaggerating when we really do believe that this is a kind of a another watershed moment in Web3 gaming. I, I do think this is one of those moments where we could be totally wrong, of course. Who knows where this yep. space is going to go? It moves at a million miles an hour. Um, but uh, we have a, both have strong conviction that this is a, a really interesting moment in time um, and is probably going to spawn a brand new meta. <laughs> um, let's be honest, you know, just like Axie Infinity did, um, you know, once people start hearing about some of these numbers and seeing how engaged, we're going to get to that in a second. We're going to talk numbers in, a, in a, <laughs> just a moment here. But before we do that, um, I want to talk a little bit about um, a, a key part of the gameplay. This is really key, uh, is that every player, you know, or every sewer pass holder can play as many times as they want. Um, and there is a set time frame, which is pretty short. It's only a matter of weeks. Like if you go on vacation, you miss out, right? Um, and so they chose uh, January 18th was when they minted, I think they minted the sewer passes. Um, and then February 8th uh, is the, I think the, the final deadline for playing. And then yep. on February 15th, which is tomorrow, if you're listening to this on, on Valentine's Day, when we're going to air this episode, um, February 15th is going to be the day when they reveal uh, who has the highest score, the passes, the sewer passes will be validated. Um, and whoever has the highest score is, at least this is what they say, is going to win the key in Jimmy the Monkey's butt. Um, and it's a key to a, and I quote here, this is from, from Yuga, mysterious and very important box. Okay, so let's not lose sight of what all of this talk is all about. Um, this is about winning the key in a monkey's butt to open a box. And whatever's in the box is going to go to the winner. Uh, at least that's what we believe as of the announcements. What is in that box? Uh, what does the community think is in, in the box? I, I know one of the things you call out in your newsletter is there's just a lot of speculation, right? And this, again, you guys really good at doing this, kind of teasing you like, oh, there's a mysterious box. What's in the box? What is in the box? Do we know? And and what does the community think is the most likely scenario? Overall, you know, in short, no. We don't know. No one really knows. Want to make that very clear. It's 
speculation is great because we live on Twitter and that gets a lot of engagement, right? Educated speculation, especially. Um, And I don't think it's blind per se, but I mentioned it earlier. There's likely some version of a new collection being created here. Direct things are pointing towards some sort of mecha Gundam robot, you know, type of machine. There's something called power sources that's 100% confirmed that will be summoned at the later stage, which will be February 15th. I imagine between the time of this recording and maybe airing, there may be more sneak peeks and maybe even some details. We're not, not you know, TBD can't can't predict the future on this one. Um, and there also has been some some points that other uh, community members have noted where, as an example, um, someone pulled a quote saying that uh, Gordon and Garga, the the core founders of Board Ape, uh, Yuga Labs and Board Ape Yacht Club, mentioned that they do not want to create any more PFP collections or you know core collections to the Yuga ecosystem. If that's true, then this will be another collection, but one that's either complementary or additive to, for example, maybe other sides, um, their metaverse that they're building. Not sure, right? So those are sort of the general directions that that can go. Additionally, um, you know, what has also been confirmed is that there is a, and this is something that I like to point out because I just feel like not many people remember this as much, except maybe, you know, core community members. There is another game being developed, and this is public information. You could find it if you just dig around. But Enway Games, uh, a game developer, now is a uh, fully owned subsidiary by Animoca, um, you know, has teased over a year ago, you know, just just illustrations of a, you know, a, a mech type of figure being built. Um, and and that was with Board ABL Club because that was tagged, right? So that seems to be potentially something. Right, so maybe there's another game that somehow gets integrated at a later point to other side. But whoever gets first place, and of course, um, because this is a skill-based mint, you know, second place still gets something very good. Maybe not the best, but it sort of goes down sequentially. I imagine there will be some sort of tiering mechanism, some sort of percentile mechanism that will either determine sort of percentage chance of receiving something with rarity and or maybe an absolute basis through the distinguishing the tiers. But first place probably gets some version of a one-on-one, something that just no one else has related to the key and what's in the box. And then that sort of moves down. Um, So that's the general thought process and what people are sort of gravitating towards in regards to speculation, but also predictions and some sort of um, some level of educated um, assumptions. Hmm. Uh, So people are obviously very excited about whatever's in the box. Um, And again, calling out that you can run or dash as many times as you like. And uh, I think one of the crazy uh, stats that you pulled in your newsletter, you're going to give us some updated numbers here uh, that you can't get anywhere else. But um, there have been a ridiculous number of Dookie Dash runs for how few, again, only 26,000 sewer passes, um, how few people there are. There have been, or in your newsletter, you said there had been 4 million runs. I think you're going to update that number first in a second. Um, <laughs> the the number at that point, that was 150 runs per sewer pass or over 10 runs per day per sewer pass. Um, that's just an incredible amount of intense gameplay, right? Like that's just a crazy number Um 
for for any game, um, never mind one where you got to you know connect your wallet and you know do all these kind of jump through a bunch of hoops. Um, you know, have ApeCoin. You know, if you want the boosts. So, yep. uh, first of all, please update us with the latest numbers, um, which I know are even bigger. <laughs> um, and then, secondly. You know what? Are, what are some of the takeaways here? You know, t- tell us also about like the percentage, per, you know, completion per sewer pass, and what I mean, what's really interesting to me is what happens, you know, after this game is done because it has a limited shelf life, right? So does it does the game just die off and you go on to the next game or the next adventure or the next chapter or quest or challenge or whatever Yuga's doing? Um, mm. Is is this? And I can't emphasize enough, like how weird it is for like in a web two context for a game developer to launch a game that would only have like a three week shelf life, right? You only expect you build all this, you know, content is expensive. Game development is hard. It takes time to to develop a game that you expect people only to play for three weeks, right? And then for it to presumably die off uh, is so against all best practices, right? And so yep. uh, for players to play a game tens you know, 10 plus times per day, every day, knowing that the game is gone. Okay, again, I get that there's a prize at the end of it, so it makes sense in, in, in some world. But in another world, it's just complete nonsense. Like, it goes against every single best practice. So, first off, update us on the stats, because they're eye-popping, they're kind of crazy. Uh, and then secondly, you know, what do you make of this weird phenomenon of having a game that you spend a bunch of time developing and then just expect it to go away? Yeah, These are very great questions. Um, And in regards to high-level stats, that was one thing when I first wrote my piece, I think a couple weeks ago, I was just like looking at the leaderboard, which is publicly available, and they publicly share some fun stats for strategically um, thoughtful and smart reasons, right? One, for the community themselves, leaderboards are a very powerful motivator. Everyone loves to brag. Everyone loves to compare. People like to look at numbers and see who's up top. That's just a fact. Um, What I found also interesting that does not happen as much uh, and not in such a live setting is the amount or or the number of dashes or the number of plays. Um, On top of how many players or how many sewer passes, let's say specifically, were actually playing. Right. So let's start with the sort of utilization rate or the play rate is what I'll sort of call this. Play utilization rate. Great. I make up a new term. Maybe it'll be an <laughs> industry term. You heard it here first. Um, right. At least as of this morning, 25,904 passes were minted out of approximately a total of 29,000. So I'm assuming, I'm assuming, who knows, maybe they're just inactive um, accounts and sort of wallets out there. Sort you're of on like, vacation. This is the thing. Yeah, this is what I was on- up before. And it's like, <laughs> like you're going to be really upset. You're on vacation. You have three weeks to play. And it's like, damn it, I could have won. You know, anyway. They um, lost their yeah. wallet, just like Bitcoin, right? There's billionaires out there, millionaires out there. It's just, you know, it's lost. Um, but out of approximately 26,000, just a shade under 26,000 passes that have been minted so far, uh, just over 24,000 have actually played the game at least once. That ratio will adjust over time, but more or less it's going to be in the low to mid 90 percentage, uh, maybe a little higher, assuming you know we have just about a day left. So 93% play utilization rate, right? Like in gaming, I mean, Nico, you're, you're more Crazy. informed than I am, but I don't know of any metric that would be like even 
I don't know, 90% plus, like whether it's any type of conversion rate. I mean, if there was a pair conversion rate of like that, like, you know, boom, like you're, you're just instant uh, Hall of Fame. I know, it's, for, it's for nuts because, because, you know, presumably there are duplicate sewer passes in there as well, right? Like if I was an original minter of Bored Apes and I happen to have a hundred of them in my, my wallet and, you know, I would presumably be minted, you know, at least a hundred, um, you know, tier three sewer passes, right? And so, yes, I'm going to sell some of those, sure, right? And then this is where the question about new entrants comes in. But every mm-hmm. one of those sewer passes has then been played with, which is kind of crazy. Like, you know, is it is it a case of, and, and I know there aren't that many p- people, like they're, it's mostly unique holders now. You know, most of the people who, you know, minted 100 are now very happy and very rich and sold, sold <laughs> off many of many of their board apes. Um, <laughs> But 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 nevertheless, there are going to be people who hold multiple sewer passes, and that presumably means that they're playing with all of those different sewer passes in order for presumably for a multiple you know chance to win multiple times, so to speak, or you know more bites at the apple or whatever you know analogy you want to use. So that is an incredibly remarkably high player utilization rate to use your term. Let's see if it sticks. Yeah. Um, what what explains that? Yes. Yeah. So with some of the elements and some of the sort of parameters of this game and this general mechanic and and what Yuga is doing with this activation, um, there is incentive to, right? There is absolutely incentive to, and you know, whether Yuga wants it or not, there's financial incentive, right? So it, it's important to realize, just like Axie, as we mentioned in earlier, um, there is a lot of incentive to stay engaged. There's a lot of incentive to play for hours on end, whether you're you know, a scholar, whether you're in a guild, um, no matter where you were in that ecosystem. So it's it's important to realize that there is that incentive. Additionally, regardless of the financial incentive, it's important to realize that there's an additional incentive to continue along with the story, regardless of $1,000, a million dollars, a hundred dollars. If you don't participate in the game, you don't get to participate in the summoning. You don't get to participate in what they've already... T- hinted at in regards to multiple stages in what they call like Evo 2, Evo 3, and there's multiple paths to Evo 3. Who knows exactly what that entails, but you don't get any of that, right? So even money aside, my gut would tell me that that play utilization rate would be extremely high, maybe 80% instead of 93, or maybe it will be 95 by tomorrow, but you don't get to participate in the story regardless of making money or not. And everyone loves... Yuga and Board Ape Yacht Club story. They've been working on it for almost two years now, mm-hmm. right? Especially if you minted um, back in April 2021, right? So, so I think that's important to realize. You don't always have to use money or like a specific financial incentive or like, you know, market making something because there's going to be secondary volume. That helps. Don't get me wrong. That's going to move the needle materially. But if you could create a story and using use different types of hooks and carrots and potentially sticks to encourage your community to join along with your journey and you need to do x y and z and they're already bought in again if they start from zero well like shit who knows but but that's one thing to that that's probably underestimated people automatically think about like hey i can make ten thousand dollars i can make a thousand dollars i could you know flip this to eventually get a board ape sure don't get me wrong that's important but there's a story to be had here and it's very clear that there's so much more to come in Mm -hmm. regards to this arc yeah, I mean, it's a classic FOMO piece again, isn't it? I mean, and again, that's what Yuga's so good at is, is creating FOMO. So uh, are, are you suggesting, I mean, this is all speculation. We don't know exactly what, what, what's going on, why. Um, but you're suggesting, if, if I can paraphrase and, and just you know, um, 
summarize, the high player utilization rate, even for sewer passes that are presumably owned, multiple sewer passes that are owned by the same person, the reason they're playing with all of the sewer passes or most of the sewer passes at this time is because each sewer pass needs to be played with at least once in order yes. for it to qualify for whatever. Okay, so for so the I summoning, to kind of, yeah, yes. exactly. So I wanted to clarify. So that. the story, such a, such is a financial, clever, yeah, yeah, such a clever. I mean, it's simple and in retrospect, you know, kind of obvious. But again, you don't really see that in Web two. Um, you know, this is a very Web three native thing where you mint a bunch of tokens and you need to use each token in order to actually qualify for. It's almost like a lottery uh, in some ways, right? Like. Um, so, okay. So, um, we've, we've, um, alluded to this and, and this was a, a point that you made very strongly in your newsletter. Um, actually, sorry, you didn't update us on all the numbers. Let's get yes, to the, Yes, uh, yes, yes. Um, so more, so, more quickly, uh, in regards to the note, the total number of dashes as of earlier this morning, we are at 7.14 million. So this is nuts. getting approaching double. And I think in the last day, we're probably going to crack eight at this rate, right? Everyone's trying to get higher scores in really quick, some quick plays, hiring other people. We'll talk about that too, to play for mm. them. Um, with, again, 24,082 passes actually playing. So this is a smaller subset, 93% of the larger play utilization rate. So that averages right now just shy of 300 plays per pass. So again, if if Tempo That's Run, doubled. if I can see doubled. Tempo Run's numbers, again, this is across all players, right? This isn't saying this is the top 25 percentile mm -hmm. or whatever. Like, I don't even know what that would be then. You know, that would be even higher. Thousands, That's 296 plays. plays. And this includes, again, like your example of a holder of 100 board apes. Well, they're just going to play like 90 of them once, right? So if you want to think about median versus average, I would love to see those numbers. Those mm -hmm. are obviously in-house. But this is this starts to get very interesting when you think about motivations, when you think about which types of holders. Break this down by tier one, tier two, tier three, tier four. Break this down by weekday versus weekend. Break this down by where they're located. Break this down if um, you know this this is a new entrant versus an existing holder of the board of yacht club uh, ecosystem. I think the data the data gathered here is going to be very fascinating, along with motivations. And the last piece didn't answer this yet. What's next for the game? I think you make a very good point, Nico. I think there have been other folks who have mentioned a game like this takes, you know, on the low to mid million, you know, seven figures to make. Um, makes sense. High quality game. Yeah, you could argue to a degree this is a reskin, but still, this requires game development. There's a lot, this is blockchain enabled. Don't get, don't forget that, right? There's incremental right. costs that Web2 games are like, hey, let me just reskin Temple Run. Fine. You know, that they had to consider that, you know, other folks don't on top of the fact that security is very, very important here because there's a lot of motivation to, you know, cut corners or, you know, incorporate different modifications to the game because this is on the client side, at least there are things that you can do. And on the server side and on their side, they're going to do other things to sort of mitigate a lot of that. So what's next? There are interesting plays here. I mean, they could keep this as a game for all holders, but more interestingly, and this goes back to sort of thinking about how this is sort of a walled garden for their holders and community right now for access, maybe afterwards they open it up to the whole ecosystem, mm. right? And maybe there's actually a secondary prize. So you could tack on layers to this, right? And that that could turn, they could just do a sort of monthly leaderboard, annual leaderboard, and they could actually enter the ecosystem in a different way. So I think that could be interesting. I, I don't know if they're going to do that. That might get too complex. But if they even just open it to the public, what happens in the wake 
of the summoning and other parts because this wasn't available to everyone yet. And they could see, hey, connect your wallet. What do these people hold? Are these also still board API club holders? So sewer pass holders playing just because they like the game and they want to check in every now and then. Maybe that will become a part of the story arc where they can incorporate Easter eggs at a later point where actually the community or even the public or the general Web3 ecosystem, now that it's public, go back to. Because now they have a game that they know that works and has mechanics and they can modify it, they can reskin it, etc. So this can be an asset, this can be an investment that actually proves ROI over a longer period than just now. Mm. Yeah, I I mean, I have to say they've done a very, very good job. I mean, again, we're speculating wildly here. We have no idea what they're going to do. But the the fact that there are so many different positive paths forward... um, that all makes sense, right? Both for holders and for a broader audience of gamers out there. Um, just shows how good of a job they have done putting this out there, putting the lore out there, building the the FOMO, building the hype, building the tease, um, getting this incredible, incredible level of engagement, people playing hundreds of times, thousands of times, tens of thousands of times in order to get the high score, um, mm-hmm. and sharing it all on Twitter, of course. And that's my next topic for you. In your in your newsletter, one of the phrases you used um, that stood out for me is, is content multiplier. This is Yuga Labs' uh, or Board Ape ecosystem content multiplier. Um, what did you mean by content multiplier? Um, we, can, we can guess, but um, uh, <laughs> how, how, how has this game, you know, this piece of content created it's almost its own ecosystem of new content, not just on Twitter, but, you know, we're, we're starting to see Twitch streamers. We're going to talk about professional, um, uh, you know, gamers who are playing this because they want to. We're also going to talk about people renting out their, their, um, their sewer passes or not renting out, but like loaning them out to professional gamers who are just really good at playing games. Like this has spawned this incredible ecosystem of content that has, brought attention to non-ecosystem, even if they haven't bought in, it's brought a lot of attention to the to uh, the non-ecosystem folks, both gamers and just casual observers. And my goodness me, we're doing a Metacast podcast on on the topic. Yep. We're spending a good hour uh, talking about what Yuga Labs is doing and, and Dookie Dash and, um, you know, a key in a monkey's butt. Like, it's incredible <laughs> what they've accomplished in terms of getting people talking about this. And this is, what again, part of the reason why I think this is a, a watershed moment or potential watershed moment in Web3 gaming is because it's not just about the game. It's also about the content and how that's kind of evolved around uh, this one silly, like you don't get this with Subway Surfers. You don't get this with Temple Run. Like you get some of that, but you don't get this incredible explosion and this this eye of Sauron for three weeks, like observing <laughs> this crazy phenomenon that's happening right now. So talk to me about content multiplier. What did you mean by that? And how has it actually multiplied content um, out uh, there? Totally agree with many of the points that you mentioned. And I think with how I even decided to write this piece about Dookie Dash's one-to-many content multiplier, Dookie Dash was covered by everyone and anyone. And I'm not a fan of just covering the same old thing, but a specific angle of a popular headline. And if there is a unique headline there, then I talk about the really popular topic. And what stuck out to me was not the game, was not you know what they did preceding the launch. I was all great and worthy of being written about. But what really caught my eye was when this launched, and I was even traveling, so I definitely wasn't as engaged across you know different you know, channels and social, et cetera, as I was. But it was very clear to me, 
everyone was talking about Dookie Dash and for understandable reasons. But what was more interesting that I noticed, and this doesn't happen often, was all the different ways people were talking about Dookie Dash. And when you think about it from a growth and marketing standpoint, that's a dream, right? First of all, if you don't have to spend anything on marketing, that's amazing. And if the thing, if it's, and it's organic, right? And if it goes viral just through organic, which is what happened with Dookie Dash, that's, that's even better, right? That's as good as it gets. And that's what happened with Dookie Dash. So I really broke down from my observations, the type of organic content, hence why I called it Dookie Dash's one-to-many content multiplier, one game. Granted, it was a significant investment on Yuga's part, but this one game spawned all this different type of content and all these different categories of it. So I broke it down, the first being score and rank. We know everyone loves to talk about the rank and score. That still happens today, three almost three weeks later. If people are getting first place, if people are reaching a personal record, um, people are reaching a high score, You know, people like to brag about it. There's a lot of that. There will always be a lot of that until this competition ends. Tips and tricks, again, you know, how to get a higher score, different ways to sort of avoid certain obstacles, you know, Twitter threads about all that, especially early on when people are better understanding the game mechanics and how to get a higher score. That's more established now, but that was a very prominent category of content, or especially in the first week. Gameplay. People just like to record gameplay and, you know, especially if it was for a high score or just different things that they were doing. So that added not if it was on Twitter as a channel that obviously added the video element, not just text or a Twitter thread. General commentary. There are a lot of different comments about Board Ape Yacht Club, just how much they love the game in general. Not really specifically talking about the mechanics of the game like the other categories, but just, hey, I really like the game. Great job, Yuga. Or I never played games before. Now I do. This is awesome. Um, I love Dookie Dash, just as an example. And then there's the other category. By itself, can't really put into any of those above. But for example, there was a prominent um, Azuki developer that uh, wanted to just try hacking the game, um, uh, white hack, uh, white hat, in a white hat manner, and he gave uh, his flowers to Yuga Labs in regards to they did a pretty good job, and he eventually found something a workaround. But you know, talked to the developers and the team about it, and they patched it up, right? And then there's many other things that are derivative there. So when you think go back to the way I described it, one-to-many content multiplier. It's very uncommon, to say the least, and especially from an organic standpoint, that one piece of content, whether it's an announcement, a game, one thing that leads to all this other stuff. In gaming in particular, there is potential for this, right? Web3 games, Web2 games, you know, anything in that space, because it's a much richer piece of content, allows for this. I think what made it very interesting is this is competitive, this is skill-based. So then the first two categories I mentioned, tips and tricks, and particularly the score and rank, coupled with the fact that this is a three-week time-boxed period, added to the groundswell of content on that front. And when you think about it from the one to the many, and this is one thing I distinguish in the sort of framework I create, the one is created by the team, and then the many pieces of content are proliferated by the community, right? So thinking about that dynamic is very interesting and important. So what the team, the studio, what the effort can feed to the community to then be the marketing department proliferate gets quite interesting if you arm them with the right seed for that content to be created. And I didn't necessarily draw this out per se, but this is only even on Twitter, 
right? If you want to add multiple dimensions to this, you think about the channels. So that's Twitter. But then what about all the conversations going on in Discord of all those categories? What about from a written standpoint or a verbal standpoint, all the Twitter spaces, all the podcasts, all the newsletters with all these different categories and all these different angles of content, then Twitch streams talking about similar things too. So this really becomes not just a multiplier, but sort of an exponential multiplier. So how can this be emulated, at least in bits and spurts, is something worth exploring and looking into more. And it's not just about you know the sheer volume of content being created, which of course is helpful because you can't help if you're living even adjacent to this ecosystem of Web3, you're going to know. You, you know about Dookie Dash, you know about Yuga Labs, you know what's going on right now. But it's also about who is doing the creation of, of the content and who is doing the playing of the game. And I think one of the, the interesting things that you, you called out, um, I think not so much in the newsletter, but when we were talking earlier, uh, was there are now professional gamers... Um, who are playing, and there are uh, holders who are loaning out their tokens uh, to professional gamers to play the game and try and beat the score. That is really, really interesting. And of course, there have been professional gamers in esports, you know, for for quite a long time now. That that's not that part isn't new, but what's what's quite new in my mind, or at least very uh, interesting in my mind, is the notion that I can be a owner, a holder of a digital asset and I can safely give it to somebody for a you know temporary period of time have them compete with something that I own and then safely have it returned to me after this 3 week contest is over talk to me about that dynamic that is incredibly interesting to me um while perhaps not super unique it, it is you know it's a it's an emergent behavior that I think deserves some more conversation um, it's it's something that really unlocks, I think, uh, something unique about Web3 in a way that Web2 can't, just can't do. Yeah, definitely. I think it's very interesting in regards to the new dynamics and mechanics that are showing up, uh, depending on um, what the sort of activation is or what's going on. There are situations and there are solutions that are coming about to allow for a concept called warm delegation. So let's say you hold a very valuable asset. In this case, let's say a sewer pass. You want to keep your sewer pass in a very secure place because you don't want to get hacked. You don't want to even lend the actual NFT or token out to someone. And you know, even if you trust them at one point, maybe they turn out to you know, be a bad friend and run away. Right, That has definitely happened before in the space. So it's always important to hold your assets in a secure manner. So... You know, you're sort of stuck. You're like, okay, well, what do I do with this thing? I suck at Dookie Dash. Maybe you don't even want a professional to play the game on your behalf and increase your score as much as possible. Maybe you just want your friends to play, right? Just to experience Dookie Dash, right? Let's not even think about sort of the financial motivations or like the score motivations. Just like, I want to share the love. I happen to have a sewer, uh, sewer pass and just want to have other people enjoy it. So in the concept of warm delegation, you could basically grant, and I'm oversimplifying this, but you could grant access that a particular token that you hold has to other wallets. And that's called, uh, you know, different terms for it, but in this case, I'm calling it warm delegate, right? You're delegating that access to someone else in a warm manner, right? Meaning it's from cold to hot wallet, hence warm. So as a result, People who have these sewer passes can let their friends play. They can pay professionals to 
play to increase this score as much as possible. Um, and also this is allowed, right? This, this is not against the rules. This is also something that's just very interesting and fascinating to see what people do to increase their scores either by themselves or through other manners. And again, this is something to watch closely because there might be situations where there is another similar Dookie Dash type of situation, not from Yuga, but a different company or game studio. And they're like, you can't do that, right? How do they manage the cheating, potential cheating and cutting the corners, things like that. But the warm delegation part gets fascinating in regards to its use cases, even outside of Dookie Dash, but it really opens up the concentric circles of marketing content, um, mm-hmm. reaching someone's end goal, um, also just enabling different things to happen. So I think that's something also to take um, a close look at. For example, in the future in a game, maybe you don't want to sell an asset, a very rare item in the game, but you want to just loan it out, right? This mm-hmm. isn't quite loaning out in that situation because there maybe are other direct ways to do that. But this is a version of that to take note of that will have other use cases in the future. Yeah. Yeah, really, really interesting. Again, there, there are so many facets to Dookie Dash and what Yuga Labs is doing here, uh, not just on the gameplay side, but the marketing side and the, the teases and the, you know, uh, the community element, um, really leaning into NFTs and what, what they mean and, and kind of almost embracing cheating in a way that in Web2 gaming you would never do and recognizing like, well, we can't control this, so why don't we just lean into it, right? Um, and certainly they can't plan all of these aspects out um, and, and, you know, uh, control everything that happens. That's that's really antithetical, really, to, to Web three and mm-hmm. the decentralized nature of what we're what we're kind of uh, observing here. Um, but leaning into it as much as possible and saying, "Well, this is what it means to 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 own an NFT," and you know, so by all means, loan it out or delegate it out or have a professional streamer play. Um, Really, really interesting. Um, and again, I don't know how replicable this is because obviously, I think one of the key things we got to call out here is board apes are incredibly valuable to a large and, and desirable to a large number of people. So I don't know if any old Tom, Dick, and Harry, you know, game developer could have done this right and could have created this level of excitement. Um, there, there needed to be that notion of this is a valuable asset. This is a valuable ecosystem. This is a cool club to be a part of. Um, for this to actually happen, right? Um, I think that's important to to call out. You can't just manufacture these these different elements and and you know replicate what Yuga's done. There needed to be the community first, um, and then from there you can start to kind of ride that wave a little bit. Okay, I have two quick questions. Um, one thing we haven't talked about a lot is uh, is ApeCoin. So um, you know, ApeCoin is is the Yuga Labs. You know, board ape uh, ecosystem token. Uh, I got airdropped uh, at some point last year. I forget exactly when uh, it mm-hmm. was, but second half of last year or m- middle of last year. Um, a lot of excitement around that for holders. Um, I even uh, I bought a mutant and a and a kennel club at that point just to get the ape coin drop. <laughs> I think a lot of people did that. Um, and so, and uh, by the way, I've since sold them, so I haven't actually not played Dookie Dash. In case anybody was wondering, um, <laughs> but uh, uh, ape coin. Is a part of the game. Uh, I was surprised by how little uh, it is utilized, how small a part of the game is. You can buy these little boosts, um, but it's relatively cheap, air quotes, compared to how expensive the the NFTs are. Um, so I'm curious to hear your thoughts on what role does ApeCoin play in the game? Uh, why 
did Yuga Labs incorporate it the way they did? Why didn't they do more is, I guess, my question. Um, uh, is it a, a sink? It doesn't seem like it's a very big sink if it is. Um, did it drive price movement at all for ApeCoin? Uh, and what could Yuga Labs have been thinking by incorporating ApeCoin the way they did, as lightly as they did? That's really what I'm asking. You could have done a lot more with ApeCoin yep. in the game, especially given ApeCoin is going to be the the coin, the token, the fungible token of the, the board AP ecosystem. Why not do more with it? Definitely, definitely. Um, so, so of course, definitely, we're not behind those closed doors, but this is the way I would think about it, right? And I want to bring it back to a small point I made earlier during this you know, episode, which was, this is not Yuga's first game. I want to emphasize that, and that will really make this point more clear. They launched a game called Apes versus Mutants January at the end of January 2022, and it was um, it was a little bit more of a dungeon crawler, like an infinite dungeon, not infinite, but a dungeon crawler. Um, uh, I forget any comps off the top of my head. You could look it up, but uh, this was available to the public, right? However, if you're a holder, you could log in, uh, connect your wallet, and log in your score. Um, and there were different uh, sort of levels and all that fun stuff you could upgrade. There were no syncs, right? A year later, they come out with Dookie Dash, right? Infinite Runner, sort of hyper casual esque, obviously skinned in their their sort of brand and everything with a small token sync, right? But closed this time. So basically, they had a very strong understanding of engagement, player rates all that stuff. Oh, and and I forgot to mention, in that first game that was launched last year, Apes versus Mutants, um, they had prizes. And the prizes were not, they were physical prizes, right? They were not like, you know, another mint or anything like that. They were like exclusive t-shirts. I think the the number one, the first place for the mutant side, because it was two sides, Apes versus Mutants, and different sets of prizes for each, was like a car, like a mutant ape-themed car, which is actually pretty cool um, as a prize. So, you know, there's a lot of similarities and differences in regards to what I imagine informed them with their decision. So the big difference with Dookie Dash is they were actually incorporating their first token sync, right? And also when they launched January last year um, for Apes vs. Mutants, there wasn't a token out yet, right? So that's important to note. So they're taking what I believe is much of their learnings in a hyper-casual game, understanding engagement specifically from the holder standpoint. Maybe from the non-holder standpoint, they realized that wasn't worth investing in and they'd rather keep it a closed environment for now because that's those are the individuals most incentivized to play. And then they incorporated a token sync. So what this will do, and clearly, is basically they, they were not, uh, from a meta standpoint, right? They were alpha testing, beta testing, and they're going to have a much larger and richer ecosystem from a gaming standpoint is my uh, assumption and prediction that incorporates that. Public versus holders, right? Um, sinks of varying degrees. How do you think about prizes in a physical sense, in a digital sense, in something that may directly be related to Yuga's ecosystem versus something that's completely not and more for clout and just repping? So I think they're having a very thoughtful approach and why they didn't do more. This is a token, right? There is money involved with this and there are price movements involved with this. Um, and you know, to a degree, we have to remember a lot of this still has some degree of regulatory looming overhead. Mm. So I think having something that's 10 to $12 versus, hey, you can maybe do infinite ApeCoin boosts 
in one single play, that gets a little dicey for different reasons, right? When some of the smoke has yet to clear just from a broader standpoint. So I think this mm-hmm. gives them the best vantage point that allows them to incorporate these types of think- sinks in a very thoughtful way, and that's pretty defensible, but at the same time allows for more room as they gather more data. And I think that's a very, very important theme here from a public blockchain standpoint, from an internal first party standpoint, to a gameplay standpoint, to a tokenomic standpoint. And they have, I'm sure, looked at case studies of the Axie Infinities of the world, um, even the Steppins of the world, any sort of, you know, some degree incentivized mechanics where there's tokenization, sinks, earning, etc. This is not play to earn in regards to a tokenomic standpoint. This mm-hmm. is a skill-based mint, right? And they earn in a very different way, but they can pay in a specific way with ApeCoin. So that's the way I would think about it and imagine they are at least to a degree with a much more well-thought-out thesis too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, interesting how, yeah, to, to me it was really interesting how little, a smaller role it played. But yeah, I totally take your point, which is they're playing the long game. They can afford to play the long game. They're yes. very well capitalized. Um, and actually that brings me to the next question question, really comment, uh, comment and question is, uh, you know, a couple of their recent hires have been very telling. Um, they are bringing over Daniel Allegre, who's the uh, COO of Activision Blizzard. Um, he's joining them at the end of Q1 uh, this year as their new CEO. Um, I think they've hired a uh, ex-Scopely chief gaming officer. Um, I think one or two other really pretty senior hires from from the gaming world. Um maybe an obvious question, <laughs> but what does it signal to you to see all of these extremely experienced gaming hires? And I'm going to preface that or follow on that question with a, is there also risk involved, right? If they're, they're clearly signaling their gaming ambitions. I'll answer your question. <laughs> they're signaling their <laughs> totally gaming fine. ambitions. Duh. Uh, yes. Um, obvious question. They're signaling their gaming ambitions, but does it also include significant risk? They are very Web3 native. They are very crypto native um, as, a, as an internal team. And I know they don't, they don't build their own games per se, but they write the lore, they create the, you know, the FOMO, they, um, uh, they're just experts at engaging the community. Is there risk um, by hiring these very Web2 first uh, senior executives um, and I'll, I'll use my own experience from Zynga. Um, we did well back in the day hiring from EA, uh, all of the EA top brass. Um, that worked out pretty well. Um, but this is almost this is almost like apples and oranges. You know, Web three and Web two. We haven't seen great success with Web two native uh, game developers building in Web three yet, uh, and vice versa. We haven't seen great Web three native um, crypto native folks doing well with games yet. This is the exception. This is why we're saying this is a watershed moment. Um, the risk, in my mind, is that they open themselves up to the same myopic approach mm-hmm. from Web 2, where it's like, well, this is how it worked in Web 2, so we're going to do the same thing in Web 3. That's clearly not the case, right? What Yuga Loves has done with Dookie Dash and Bored Apes and over the last two years building the like, that doesn't happen in Web 2. It's not the same thing. So they're single their gaming ambitions, but what does it mean to be hiring senior executives from like Activision Blizzard and Scopely and places like that? Yeah, first of all, those hires are massive. And I think even though those are typically talked within those circles, 
I think as time passes and everyone in the industry, especially Web3, has the memory of a goldfish, when you think about the release of Dookie Dash, you get caught up in the, okay, who has a high score? When's the next mint? Do I have a sewer pass or not? Do I want to get a sewer pass or not? You know, it's taking multiple steps back and to for myself as sort of an industry analyst of sorts, like looking at these things and thinking about, okay, well, what direction are they headed in and who have they hired to allow for that? So Daniel Allegre, Spencer Tucker, chief gaming officer at Yuga, who was hired in September, by the way. And Daniel Allegre's news is much more recent. It's clear, you already answered the question. Yes, lots of gaming ambitions. I think in regards to risks, absolutely. Um, again, uh, I mentioned it earlier, I'll mention it again. The playbooks are still being written and this is a playbook, right? Uh, of sorts. It's absolutely one that should not be repl- replicated and like copied to a T maybe elements or certain pages of it. Yes. Um, but even this specific playbook has not finished being written. Maybe this is just a chapter. Maybe this is the whole book. Who knows? Right. And, and in regards to risks, what the, what, what has been mitigated to a degree is one uh, with, uh, and I imagine to a degree with uh, the the hiring of Spencer Tucker and also Daniel. This these efforts were to at least uh, I imagine a large degree already built and decided. The main decisions were made in a way prior to them actually joining, at least to a degree, right? Particularly mm-hmm. Daniel Allegri. So. It seems like from a core Yuga team point of view, there's already a lot of thoughtfulness when they're thinking about gaming and they do need the chops and maybe industry connections and sort of different level of institutional knowledge and even executive institutional knowledge to take them to that next level. But it is promising that this has been pushed out and received with a fair amount of fanfare and positive response without necessarily, you know, a large executive coming in to make those decisions just yet. Um, additionally, I think this goes back to yes, cliche terms and buzzwords, but they start with a community and brand, right? So they have these flywheels and growth loops that will sort of happen to a degree independently of the gaming side. So what the hope here is, and I imagine is as they sort of build out different divisions, so to say, as an example, and Mind you, they acquired a content juggernaut called We Knew Labs and acquired those collections too. So they have the sort of brand side, the marketing side through the fact that, you know, owners can have a commercial license for their respective brands. Then you have the content uh, initiatives that have been created. And then you have what seems to be a gaming division or sort of at least department being created. These all can complement each other, but also independently grow. So this isn't necessarily, uh, hey, this is, we're just a gaming company. Eventually, they might brand themselves and such, and I would find that very interesting if so. But they started from a very different point of view, um, and then now they're becoming something else. Mm-hmm. Just like how a lot of even some of the largest gaming brands and sort of titles in the world have started approaching the world of entertainment, mm, right? Last the show us. Arcane. Yeah. Yeah, The Last of Us. Last of right? Us, yeah. I mean, I don't know if anyone's um, watching, but it's a great show in my opinion. So, so um, I heard great I, things. So mm-hmm. One thing I'm just going to push, so I, I, I agree with you, or at least I don't disagree with you that that you can have uh, separate divisions of essentially a, 
a, a brand. It's a brand, right? Like Board mm-hmm. Apes now and, and all of the subparts, you know, of Yuga Labs or the different collections are all brands in their own rights. And you can use them in different ways. You can use them for um, on T-shirts. You can sell a bunch of Board Ape looking T-shirts. Right? That's the easy, the merch side yep. of things, right? You can make games like they're doing now with, with uh, Dookie Dash. Um, and I think what you said is true up to the level of like chief gaming officer hire. But when you're hiring an Activision Blizzard CEO, who theoretically should have the final word on what the, the the kind of executive plan is going forward, I think that does introduce an added layer of, oh, we're now a mm. gaming company. That's the only pushback I would give you. I, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I don't know if uh, the original Yuga founders are going to be still uh, exerting a lot of sway over how the CEO operates, which... By the way, it's not a great place for a CEO to be, to have the original founders exert a lot of sway. If you're CEO, you're CEO. So that's the only pushback I would give you. And I think that's why I was asking about the risk piece. It's, it's fine to hire a chief gaming officer and have that be a division and like they're in charge of the gaming piece. But when you hire a CEO from a gaming company, especially a Web2 gaming company that's you know Activision Blizzard, has all the baggage that it comes with, I think that does introduce an extra layer of risk. Um either for, for Daniel <laughs> in, in his decision-making, if he's being overruled by the founders or kind of the original vision for the brand, um, or for the original brand, if Daniel gets to exert uh, CEO power in the direction they go. So I think those are, they're a little bit in conflict with each other, in my opinion. Let's see how it plays out. But that's the only pushback I would give on the points, which are well taken. Uh, that you yeah, yeah, no, you and you make very good points on that front. And yeah, it can't, it, it can't be... Um, it should not be taken lightly. And and I think that does come with the other side metaverse play. There, there's something there from a gaming standpoint. Uh, metaverses are, are, are gaming ecosystems. Like you could call it whatever you want, but like for, from a broader standpoint, it is an ecosystem that has a lot of gamification involved at the minimum, whether you call it a game or not. And I think that is something that Daniel Allegri, at least from an experience standpoint probably can attest to, to a degree. He he didn't manage a metaverse or anything like that. But I think you make a very good point. And uh, you can't, if if you're a jack of all trades, you're a master of none. So they they are moving, I agree, in in that direction. Carries a lot of risk. With Dookie Dash, seems like it's a great start, to say the least, at least. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Well, we've gone. We've had a long episode. We knew this would be a long episode, um, but uh, and there's more we could talk about. This is yep. a really, really fascinating case study. It hasn't even been written yet. Uh, we're recording this on February seventh. Uh, tomorrow is February eighth, which is when the contest officially ends, and then there's a week um, until the fifteenth when they reveal. So this has not yet been written. There is more to talk about, um, and I'm hoping we can do some kind of follow up, whether it's um, you know pointing to. T-Pan's newsletter, or maybe even another episode, if there's enough to talk about about <laughs> what happens next with Dookie Dash, you know, V2, and, the, and how the story unfolds. Uh, and I just want to say a big thank you, T-Pan. Um, incredible insights as always. Uh, very data, uh, you know, f- focused on on your approach, which I love. Um, and so, really looking forward to seeing um, what comes next and reading. Certainly, I'm sure you're going to be covering this. Um, and I'm really curious to see what the key in Jimmy the Monkey's anus unlocks. Um, and on that note, I had to get that in there. Uh, on that note, uh, T-Pan, thank you so much. I uh, really appreciate it, as always. Thank you. Uh, and a big thank you to all of our listeners. We will be back um, next week uh, with more interviews, more insights, and more analysis from the weird and wonderful world of Web3. Um, 
never weirder than today, I think, <laughs> on this episode. So until next time, friends, uh, stay crypto curious and feel free to send questions, guest recommendations, and comments to me. My email is nico at novic.co and you can find me on Twitter at nicothefin. DMs are always open. Until next time, thank you.